Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The 2023 MLS Super Draft, held in December 2022, is officially over, and the New England Revolution, for the first time since 2018, selected three players. Headlined by Joshua Bulma out of the University of Maryland, who the Revolution traded up from the 10th pick up to the 4th pick to select. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Tanner Rebello. Tanner, how's it going? Doing very, very good, Greg. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm a bit tired. Life is a bit crazy right now, but we're always able to make some time for podcasting, and it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the Super Draft. Sean and I usually do these episodes. Sean's not available this week, and thankfully you are here to take his place. I love the Super Draft. I love trying to read into these college players and see how they fit into the uh, you know, Major League Soccer teams, and uh, I'm very happy that the Revs finally have a meaningful pick after the past couple of years where they've been stuck at 24 and 20, and we don't have high expectations, and the Revs ending up with a top 10 pick this year and moving up. I'm very, very excited to, to talk about the Super Draft. So, um, Tanner, let's get into our key takeaways from the Super Draft, and those key takeaways are brought to you by The Rebellion. You can go check out their group and learn more about them at nerebellion.org. 2023 memberships are on sale right now for The Rebellion, so go to nerebellion.org to learn more about their supporters group. Tanner, uh, what's your key takeaway from uh, the MLS Super Draft? It's a continued confusion with the Revolution roster build. And sort of the continued skepticism of Bruce Arena's ability to manage this roster at this point in his career. Um, I think you could go back to the summer transfer window in 21 and start to question him there. And it kind of continued throughout that offseason through the following transfer window. And <clears throat> certainly now into this offseason where the team has been very, very, very quiet, uh, abnormally quiet for a team that, you know, clearly needed some assistance um you know and, and it kind of continued into the super draft you know seeing them trade up from the number 10 pick using two hundred fifty thousand dollars in gam to get to the number four pick you start to get excited right you start to think okay maybe this team is gonna invest they clearly have a need so they drafted you know joshua bulma with that fourth pick out of maryland this is an attacking player you know he played at wing his freshman year played centrally his second year in the number 10 role and then you look at their second two picks, and the team went and acquired backline depth with both of those picks. And you start to think, okay, you know, in my head, I'm like, this is probably, a, you know, an A draft. And then you listen to Bruce Arena after the game, and speaking specifically Bulma's position, uh, and he brought up the number eight role, central midfield role, which is not something the player really seems like a good fit for. So, Really, it's just confusion after the Super Draft and continued confusion of Bruce Arena's ability to identify talent, um, you know, and build a capable roster at this point. Yeah, and what's interesting is I feel like the last time we talked about the Revs, it was still very early in the offseason. We kind of expected the World Cup to pass without any moves. The World Cup has passed. We've started to see some dominoes start to fall in MLS. I feel like MLS as a whole, the free agency market is moving a little slow. But certainly with where the Revs ended their season a few months ago now, you would have expected to see a little bit more movement. 
Bobby Wood has been brought in. We've had the super draft. Um, I, I have some theories about um, the comments that Bruce made in a second, but um, it seems like this offseason is moving a little bit slower because it seems like last year, and, and it's also worth pointing out, the Super Draft the past couple of years has been later in the year. They've been in January um, be, because they of, of the schedule kind of, they're trying to move back to a normal schedule uh, that's kind of been rattled due to COVID. They've moved it back into December. Um, but late December is when we've started to see moves. Um, if you go back to the Adam Books signing, that was when he, he was signed right before Christmas. Um, that pre-2021 um, off-season um, winter winter window that was late december was when they started making all the moves the cap tomb um the mafla move they, they made a handful of signings i wonder if a handful of signings will be coming soon um I, I wonder if there are some things that are going to be finalized and um kind of brought in in the near future and they were just kind of waiting for this super draft to kind of see where what they ended up with um because they certainly seem to be very high on joshua bulma and let's kind of unpack bulma for a second we'll get to the later picks in a second, uh, Tanner, but uh, Bulma's a midfielder out of the University of Maryland, really was a winger, primarily played as a winger. They said on the Super Draft show, uh, the MLS Super Draft show, that he was a winger that could move back to wing back. Um, said defense is not necessarily a strength, but he's very good moving forward, very good in attack. He's 20 years old. He was one of the youngest players to attend the MLS scouting combine. Um, Two-time all Big Ten first-team player in his two years uh, at Maryland, which is a bit confusing because, um, to me, Maryland is still in the ACC. I'll never never get used to saying Maryland's in the, the Big Ten, but he was first-team, all Big Ten, both years, um, one of the top prospects in the country, an All-American coming out of uh, high school, um, checks a lot of boxes, four goals, four assists in his freshman year, two goals, uh, eight assists in his sophomore year, a very good player on a ranked program, so he checks a lot of boxes. I think Tanner, we're. I think we feel the same way that when this pick was made, we both kind of said this was a Tejon Buchanan plan. Where Buchanan came in, he played limited minutes his first year, and Buchanan again also came out of school early. I believe he came out as a junior, so around the same age. Buchanan came out of, of school one year early. His rookie year, he he had some flashes, but he he didn't play a ton, especially under Bruce Arena towards the end of 2019, and then 2020 after a year of development, he started making a real big splash. So in my mind, I thought, okay. Bulma might be a guy they, they envision putting on the right side. This, he's an athletic kid with a high ceiling. He's a long-term prospect. Um, maybe if you want to get really speculative, they don't have a lot of wing back, back depth right now. Maybe he's a replacement for Dewan Jones if he leaves. Maybe he's a, a Brandon Bay replacement if, if Bay leaves. But I, I kind of had that thought of this is a long-term play by the Rebs. Bruce Arena then coming out and saying, I envision him playing as an eight. And Bulma saying... Um, I'm very comfortable in the center. I'm a little worried that they're going to push this guy as a day one um, central midfield starter or significant minutes when I think the scouting reports kind of say he was a winger. So maybe Bruce sees something that the pundits don't see, and that's very fair. I I think the super draft coverage, you know, there's a high variance and, you know, uh, there's a lot to cover for for an event that isn't that, I don't want to say that important, but... Um, it's not like the NFL draft where every little thing is picked apart. Um, it, it's very possible this guy's playing in the center, but I'm surprised with the role that the Revs envision for him. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of throw that out there. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Tanner. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, right? Uh, Bulma was actually asked about, you know, the positions he feel co- he feels comfortable with and, you know, clearly he took some pride in his versatility. 
it sounded like in high school he played more centrally and more in a number 10 role. Um, you know, in his freshman year, he played more out in the wing, which is a little bit different for him. Um, but last year, he came more centrally, playing the number 10 role. He had eight assists, um, more than that attacking central midfielder role. Um, number eight, it, you know, it's a little bit different, right? You're box-to-box midfielder. You have to be strong defensively, strong offensively as well. Um, it doesn't seem like a great fit specifically there. And I don't know if I necessarily see him in a number 10 in Major League Soccer. I thought, you know, with that speed, with that versatility, I, I agree with you. I was thinking, you know, maybe that Buchanan role, maybe Dewan Jones. Like, But I, personally, I would just see what does he look like within your roster? What are your needs? And sort of click and plug, right, to get him field time and to see where he fits in Major League Soccer. Um, number eight feels weird to me. Um, but I, I think... Yeah, most people have said, like, yeah, he's an outside player. That's what he did in college. But, you know, he really did play essentially his second year. Um, so he does have experience in the middle of the field. He's not primarily in a number eight role. Um, so that's concerning to me in regards to asking him to do that. I, you know, I'm not a fan of bringing in a draft pick in general and sort of assigning them a role. I think you need to have an open mind, right? You got to get them in your camp, get them in your system and see where they fit. I think Revs, too, is an incredible option to give a player like him opportunities to play in different roles with low pressure and just see what happens see what works and what doesn't work um i'm generally not a fan of young player being assigned a position especially when they clearly didn't have a defined position throughout their careers thus far at the collegiate level yeah and and that's good context too that he played as a 10 because i I watched some highlights and there are a lot of highlights of him crossing of him kind of attacking in from the wing going in one-on-one um, but but there are some clips that I saw that he's in the center of the field. Um, he is able to move in and out. So I didn't know if it was kind of more of a fluid thing at Maryland or, or what. But it's good context that he has played 10. So that gives me a little more confidence he can play um, as an 8. Um, with that said, though, Tanner, I do want to just say, I think we, we've been a little negative on this. I actually like Bulma as a player. I think he does have a high ceiling. And I think that if he is coached up properly, I don't know what his role will be. I think we both kind of think he's a winger, um, but I do think he has a high ceiling. I, I don't actually have any real issues with the pick. I think the pick actually kind of works out. I don't mind. The, the Revs also traded up from 10 to 4. They traded $250,000 worth of GAM, 200000 in 2023, 50000 in 2024. And they also traded that 10 picks. They moved up six spots to take Bulma. I, I think that's a fair value. If you look at the trades around that pick, that seems to be a fair value. Bulma was expected to go fifth. I think the Revs leapfrogged Houston, knowing that he, he would be gone around then. Um, so I actually don't hate the pick. My skepticism kind of comes how they expect to use him. Um, any disagreements on that? What are your, it seems like you're kind of high on Bulma and we're on the same wavelength. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm really high on him as a player. I think you know, it's a, raw, a lot of raw talent there and there's a lot of potential. Um, and I have no problem. $250,000 in GAM, that's nothing to trade up and get the player you want in the draft. I think it's important to do that, you know, to be aggressive and to commit to the player. And, and on top of that, it's a generation Adidas status. So that salary is not going to count against your wage bill, um, which is another benefit. So it almost washes out that GAM investment. Uh, the international slot, obviously, you know, that carries some weight. But Bruce Arena has shown that he doesn't really take him in high regard, obviously, drafting Edward Kizza with a national slot a couple years ago, too. So um, I think we just kind of have to accept that that slot will be occupied by Balma. But you know, it's, it's going to be very fascinating to see how much playtime he gets this year because Bruce Arena is talking about you know his roster being competition. 
um, within the players that are in the team right now. So it'll be interesting to see how much Bulma plays, but I generally like the pick. I don't like their mindset in terms of where he's going to play. And let me throw this out here, Tanner, because I think the eighth position is a role that is one that I think the the Revs need to kind of look for an upgrade. Um, Even if you think Noel Buck could handle it or, you know, you think Tommy McNair is fine or whatever. I, I, I think it's kind of a glaring weak spot that the Revs need to upgrade. Hypothetically, because I know there's been some chatter about Eric Williamson in the past. Apparently that's dead. Apparently he's staying in Portland, but who knows? If you're the Revs and you, you, you're looking to upgrade an eight and you're involved in trade talks, do you think that maybe this is Bruce Arena maybe saying, hey, we found our eight as kind of a way to kind of basically for leverage and trade talks, maybe to say like, hey, we're not that desperate for an eight anymore. Like maybe I'm reading too far into it, but that that's kind of my um, dark horse theory here that Bruce is kind of putting him into an eight. Let me give you the full quote too, because I, I, I want to kind of put into his terms how kind of definitive it says. Uh, Bruce says, quote, we're going to try him as a number eight in the central midfield. It's one area where we lack speed is in the central part of the midfield. And we wanted to get a player there that could offer us a little more quickness. And Joshua certainly does that. So it'll be interesting. So it'll again be interesting to see how he just quickly into MLS and makes the adjustments and see if he is the he is a player that can help us in the early going. So, again, he's talking we're, we're drafting based on position, and this is the guy we like in that position. He's not saying, well, Bulma can play all over the field. You know, we're going to grow him. He can kind of play ever. He's got a lot of versatility. He's saying this is a guy that can help us pretty quickly in the number eight role, and that, that's kind of surprising. So I wonder if there is a little bit of gamesmanship and kind of signaling to the rest of MLS that, hey, we found our eight. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it depends how the rest of the league looks at Bulma, right? If they evaluated him too and they said, yeah, he could fit in a number eight role, um, maybe they'd buy into Bruce Serena's theory and maybe that would give Revolution leverage. I think, you know, you do need to upgrade in that area. I don't think Tommy McNamara, you know, great guy, right? Been a good player. I think you can upgrade there. Um, you know, I think there needs to be a better partner as well for uh, Matt Polster. Um, in the defensive midfield. I think Bruce brought that up as well in his press conference. It's just weird to lock in a young player to a number eight role. Maybe they're actually open-minded and you're right. They're trying to use this as leverage to the rest of MLS to bring in a player. But uh, to be candid, you know, hearing Bruce Arena yesterday and some of the things he said and the way he said it, it sounds like the team isn't going to make that big move. It sounds like they're just going to have a couple small pieces here and there. I could be wrong, but it really sounded like he was trying to temper expectations in terms of major additions to this club going forward prior to the season. And preseason starting, I believe, January 9th. So we have a couple more weeks until camp opens. A little concerning. A little concerning because there's still a lot of holes on this team that need to be addressed. So um, let's move quickly into the other uh, draft picks here, Tanner, that I want to get into because there's some interesting picks down here in rounds two and three. Before we do that, I wanted to take a minute to talk about our sponsor, Galasso Kits. Galasso Kits' mission is to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home with a catalog of jerseys, jackets, scarves, and more from clubs and national teams from over 80 countries in the world, including Ghana. Uh, go support new Super Draft pick. 
uh, uh, Joshua Boma, who is from Ghana. Uh, you can go get some Ghana kits right now if you'd like. You can get some United States men's national team kits. You can go support Tejan Buchanan, get a Canadian national team kit, uh, or you can get a kit from your favorite MLS team, which is probably the New England Revolution, which is why you're listening to this podcast. So go check out GalassoKits.com for their full selection, and make sure you follow them at GalassoKits on Twitter and on GalassoKits on Instagram for updates on their new inventory every single week. And when you find something you like, please use promo code REVSRECAP to save 15% off your order. That is promo code REVSRECAP at GalassoKits.com for 15% off your order. Links and codes are in the show notes. Tanner, let's get to these second and third round picks, final two picks for the New England Revolution. The Revs using all three of their draft picks. Um, bit surprising. First time they've done that in a long, long time. No passing this time. They selected Victor Souza out of Boston College in the second round. Souza was a all-ACC third-team selection twice. He was also on the ACC all-freshman team honor. Played 48 games, 48 appearances, all of them starts. Played near, over 4,000 minutes uh, with Boston College. Um, they also selected... Andreas Uland out of the University of Virginia, who played over 6,700 minutes, over 73 games. He was the 2022 ACC Defensive Player of the Year. He was a 2022 ACC First Team Player and was a ACC Third Team Player in 2019 and 2020. He's been capped by the Norway U17, U18, and U20 teams. And he is also a former teammate of Henry Kessler and is our podcast partner Sean Donahue pointed out the the famous story of Henry Kessler uh, hearing um, Charlie Davies call his teammate arguably the best uh, defender in, in the ACC or in the country and Kessler came up to to Davies and uh, before the next game and said actually I'm going to prove why I'm the best defender in the country uh, Charlie Davies was talking about Ulin uh, Ulin was a freshman at the time and so there's been a lot of hype around him I think his time in college a lot of people had him circled as a potential high draft pick, and this year was no different. Some mock drafts had him going in the mid-teens. Um, somehow falls to 68th. Seems like a bit of a steal based on talent. Tanner, what are your thoughts on these final two picks from the Revs? Yeah, I think New England needed to bolster their backline depth. Um, when you're looking at second and third round picks, you're not looking at immediate MLS players, right? You're looking at you know, probably Revs 2 players um, and players you're going to work in in training and see what they have and where they fit on the back line in terms of are they going to be an outside back? Are they going to be a, a central defender? Um, but th they needed to bolster the depth, right? They obviously lost John Bell. J.J. De La Garza retired. Um, and it was clear last year that they really needed to, you know, make sure that they were OK back there. Um, and I'm not saying either of these players are even ready to play in 23. And I think that's still a concern on the back line is having an additional major league soccer ready player. Um, but you, you see Andrew Farrell's played a ton of minutes, you know, he's getting older. Um, he's going to miss time. Like that's just natural. Uh, Henry Kessler has been on and off the pitch. Um, and you look at this pick, who's obviously Boston college. New England would, would have had plenty of opportunities to scout him. Um, and then Uland does not occupy an international roster slot. Uh, that was according to uh, Sam Minton at the Bent musket. Uh, he tweeted that out not so long ago before we recorded this podcast. Um, so that, that's an important note as well. So it wasn't like Ulan fell simply because he would require that slot. Uh, so whenever you see a player fall like this, you, you do have to question it, um, sort of why did he fall? Um, so that's going to be interesting to see if that ever comes out. Maybe it was just pure luck. Um, and this could be an absolute steal for new England. Maybe he's closer to being ready to play. Major League Soccer, um, but ultimately, I, I like both these picks. And cohesively, I like all three picks in this draft, um, but I really do like these two picks. I think it 
it's clear that they're going to try to fill the defensive backline by committee in terms of depth. Mm-hmm. And typically, too, after the first round, especially, you kind of expect these are going to be Revs 2 players. And I, I kind of assume that's where Victor Souza is going to end up. The Revs taking a guy that's played locally and maybe wants to extend his career at the MLS Next Pro level. Um, I, I believe, too, USL 2 has let go of a handful of defenders and they need some rebolstering along that back line, too. So he, he strikes me as organizational depth. With that said, I, I like the pick. I like the value. Um, I, I think it's a good pick. Uh, we also got a comment uh, from Frank on Twitter uh, who says, having seen Victor play, he can. So um, not sure if he is going to have, he's going to reach the senior team, um, but I, I certainly like the pick kind of where they selected him. Uh, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing him at Revs too, if he ends up signing there. Um, Uland is a, is a fascinating case. And it reminds me a lot of Josh Bauer, who at one time was expected to be a top 10, top 15 pick, and then slid down to the second row, round and, and went to Atlanta. And his career never really panned out. I, he's never made his MLS debut, I don't think. Um, but it, it's this was a name that if you go to the MLS website, they list the top players at every position. And if you go to center backs, Ulan's there. Ulan's listed as one of the top five, six center backs in this draft. So the talent is there. We did get a question here. Paul Ryan says, what's up with Ulan being available so late in the draft? Seems to be highly rated on a few of those mock drafts and positional rankings. I do, there's nothing I can find to why he dropped so much. The only real things I can think of is injury or because he's played in Norway before, maybe he's looking to play in Europe. Maybe he's being chopped around and teams in MLS are kind of aware that a supplemental contract uh, for, for MLS is not going to pay him what he can get in Europe or what he has on the table from Europe or something to that degree. So maybe this is kind of like you used to see this in the MLB draft with Scott Boris clients where you know, they, they'd let teams know their demands early on, and the small market teams would basically just pass on the Scott Boris clients. They'd fall, you know, you'd have the top three or four players kind of drop down to the teens in the MLB draft back in the day. Maybe this is a situation where Hulind is saying, um, you know, these are my expectations. I'm expect- I, I want an MLS contract um, if I report to camp or, you know, something like that. Maybe he's making a demand and he's expecting a, a team to sign him right off the bat or something like that. So I, I imagine it's either injury or contract because skill-wise, this guy should not have been falling to the third round. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up. I mean, you know, that could be true. Who knows? We're going to have to see. Uh, but if anyone would have any insight in terms of Ewan and Maybe his potential flight risk to Europe, it would be, you know, Henry Kessler or even Bruce Arena, who, you know, University of Virginia legend, right? Plenty of contacts there. So if any team would have insight in terms of the flight risk, it would be the revolution. It could just be them taking a flyer on the player. Um, but, you know, it, it's certainly interesting to see him fall this far. And there's obviously a reason it's either they didn't evaluate him to be a major league soccer player, but clearly this player can play, right? Um, played at the uh, national team level at the U levels with Norway. Uh, plenty of experience so it'd be super super interesting to see because you're looking at a third round pick that theoretically is more major league soccer ready than your second round pick which doesn't usually happen you you might be able to argue the third round pick is more major league soccer ready than the first round pick if i'm being honest with you maybe i mean he's 23 he's six foot five um he was an acc defender of the year acc is a legitimate conference um I mean, you certainly could carve out a role for a guy with that type of resume. Now, again, it just matters if it's attitude, if it's injury, if it's contract. But um, I'm sure that Bruce Arena 
put in a phone call to Henry Kessler and said, you know, tell me everything you know about this guy. Um, and I'm sure going back to the first round conversation, Bruce, you know, Bruce Arena said that they had two guys that they were looking at in the top 10 and moving up guaranteed that they got one of them. Um, he didn't say who the other person was. I, I have a guess that I'll keep to myself, but um, you know, if they didn't get one of those two players, they're probably like Euland was probably one of the guys that they were looking at at taking 10. Like if they, if they weren't able to get one of those two players and they had to select 10, Euland's probably on their board. That's probably a guy that they're, that they, they could reasonably expect to fall to them. So I'm sure they did their scouting for him. And even if he moves by selecting him, they're able to retain his rights for two years. So if he goes to Europe and comes back, um, the revs will hold his rights. So really, really curious case, but, um, I don't know. Very, I, I'm happy with all three of these picks. It's just a matter of who signs and how they utilize them. Um, Tanner, let's get into some grades. I just want to grade the draft real quick. And I, I'm going to kind of divide this into two bits. Grade the Bulma pick and then grade the draft as a whole. Okay. Uh, the Bulma pick, I'm going to give that one a, a C. It was going to be an A for me, but I'm going to give it a C. Draft as a whole. I'll give a C plus. See, I will. I'll give. I'll give the Bulma pick a C, and I, I'll agree with you there. And I think a lot of this, a lot is riding on this pick for Bruce Arena, because outside of the Henry Kessler pick, he hasn't had a high draft pick that needs to pan out. And I feel like trading up, he's put a. I don't want to say a lot on the line because it's two hundred and fifty dollars in game, but he he's kind of really saying Bulma's our guy. Bulma's a guy that we think can fit the eight. If he doesn't work out, I, I think that's. Not a good sign for Bruce. The draft as a whole, um, I think using all three picks, and I also think getting a guy that is a first-round talent in round three, if you are able to bring him in, if you are able to sign him, if the Bruce Arena and Henry Kessler connections kind of help that out, um, I- I'm going to give this draft a, a, a B plus. Uh, and, and maybe that goes down if Souza and Yulin don't sign. But um, I, I think they did a nice job addressing some organizational depth. Uh, and I think they got a guy that might contribute real minutes. So, so I'm, I'm going to be a little more positive on the overall depth here uh, of the, the b- bottom two picks. But I'll go C and B. So. Uh, Tanner, let's get to some listener questions here. Tim says, Bruce mentioned using Bulma as an eight because we need speed at that position. The best central midfielders in the world aren't fast. They defend slash cover well, break lines with passing or carry the ball through pressure. Bulma sounds like a better fit on the wing with his skill set. Uh, great comment, Tim. No notes. Tanner, anything to add on, on Tim's perfect comment? Yeah, I think it's a perfect comment. Bulma's really good on a one-on-one situations. Really reminds me of Dewan Jones or Deshaun Buchanan. Doesn't defend well either, so that's kind of a concern. Maybe he can develop that skill set. I think it's a good comment. And again, I don't want to... I mean, maybe Bulma will fit the eight. I, I think he's a raw player that has a lot of talent. I think the day one comment kind of concerns me a little bit. And I think locking him into the eight kind of concerns me a little bit. I I think he can play a lot of different positions and I think he's going to be a lot better in year two than year one, but we will see. Um, Sam Minton of the Bent Musket, our friends over at the Bent Musket, go follow them at the Bent Musket on Twitter and go follow them at thebentmusket.com for year round coverage. Uh, He asks us, will Yulin or Souza be able to replace the John Bell, John Bell sized hole in our hearts? And then in parentheses says, but seriously, can they be as good as him? Tanner, thoughts on Yulin slash Souza uh, replacing John Bell as center back depth? Yeah, Yulin can absolutely surpass John Bell or replace John Bell. Uh, John Bell wasn't a very good defender for the Revolution. Um, I know that may hurt Sam Mitten and a bunch of the Bell fans, but uh, I think it's fairly easy to replace John Bell. Um, you know, he did show some promise, obviously, in 21. The entire team was supporter shield winning team, record setting team, so a lot of players showed promise, but. I think you saw the real John Bell last year. 
Um, and I think Elon could easily surpass him because Elon's had a better collegiate career than Bell, like by far. So, how dare you, Tanner? How dare you slander John Bell on this podcast? Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's a bit of a fair comment. I think John Bell dipped a little bit in 2022. He did have some injuries. Um, I, I, sure. I think John Bell, I'll, I'll be a little optimistic on, on the John Bell's coin. I think he's more 2021 than 2022 John Bell. Um, and I, I think the fact that he was selected in the expansion draft shows that for a supplemental roster player, he's good depth. Um, with that said, I think McCoon is the, the John Bell replacement. And I think we said that at the time when, when he was traded. And But he can't defend. Yeah, I, I, I like John Bell more than I like McCoon. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if Sousa or, or Euland is going to be the direct one-for-one replacement for John Bell. Um, but I, 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 as you said, I think Euland can certainly replace uh, uh, John Bell. I, I think he's going to – he would absolutely be a great choice for a depth center back. If you really wanted to get into who Euland would replace, though – it's Omar Gonzalez. Euland is 6'5". Um, you know, Omar Gonzalez was brought in as that height type player. Um, we haven't mentioned Omar Gonzalez on this this podcast yet, but if Josie's coming into the offseason and if he's staying with the team, the Revs still have that offseason buyout where they can um, buy out a contract and it doesn't hit the salary cap. If Euland signs, why would you keep Omar Gonzalez? Um, if you can't find a trade partner, I wonder if they buy him out because you have that size, you have that tall defender that can kind of come in late in games. Um, I, I think if Euland signs, I think Omar Gonzalez might be the guy that he's replacing. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that that makes sense to me, especially, you know, Omar Gonzalez last year simply couldn't defend, had poor reaction, had, you know, anything you don't want really in a center back, uh, he was so. You won't easily replace Omar Gonzalez, although a lot of players probably could based on what Omar did last year. If you're six foot four or taller, you can replace Omar Gonzalez. I think that's the qualifications at this point. Yeah. Um, one more one more comment here from Trigger Gerati. Uh, do the Revs have a domestic scouting department or do they just call up old friends to get their input? Tanner, wh- what are your thoughts on this question? Because I, I was a little confused at the context at first, but um, we, we talked about it beforehand and you, you have a theory. So I'll, I'll let you lead, go with this one. Uh, you know, thinking about this question more and more, um, you know, Bruce Arena has been around the block forever, right? He's been a major soccer for a long time. He's been coaching the collegiate ranks forever. He has a, you know, an expansive Rolodex, right, of former players, uh, former assistant coaches. Um, so he, he, he can pretty much call on anyone and get, I won't say an honest response, but at least, you know, get an answer on a player from someone he maybe trusts. Um, so I don't know how much Bruce Serena relies on scouting department in terms of domestically. Um, that's the way at least I think of it. I think he's just been around for so long that, of course, he's calling up friends and getting opinions, even if the scouting department gives him something. Like, especially, you know, with Yuland, of course, he's going to be calling up the coach at UVA. Of course, he's going to be asking Henry Kessler or other players that, you know, saw him play or even asking Charlie Davies, who called, right, like the Bruce Arena has a Rolodex. Of course, he's using it um, at this point in his career. Like I question, you know, his roster building. I think maybe he's leaning too much on these connections. We've seen too many former players come in. Bobby Wood this offseason, obviously Omar Gonzalez, so is the Altador, Sebastian Legette, AJ Lagarza. Like it just goes on and on with this guy. Um, a lot of former players. A lot of so it's. I think there's something to it. I, I think there's something relying too much on, you know his personal Rolodex versus maybe what is best for the team at this point in time. Yeah. I, I, I should have reached out to trigger beforehand before we, we got this. Cause I, I think this might be a Bobby Wood comment and not a um, 
super draft comment because my initial thought was he was talking about Eulin, but Eulin was a good pick in the third round. That's a good pick. Yeah, it's a good pick. So if if there's a personal Virginia connection, great. I don't think he's ever coached with Sasho. Um, I'm going to mispronounce the last name, Servinsky, um, at Maryland, um, which is where Bloma came from. I believe they coached against each other in the ACC. I'm sure they know each other to some sort of degree. Uh, but Sasha, Sasha's been there, I think, like 30 years or something like that. He's, he, his name is always thrown out for new uh, MLS head coaching vacancies. So um, I imagine they know each other. Um, and then the, the, I mean, the BC pick, maybe because it's a local guy, maybe there's a local coach that was able to get him in with the Revs or something like that. So uh, it, all three of the, the picks might be connected here to Bruce Arena and the Revs in some way. Um, but as you said, Tanner, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, if Bruce, if, if Bill Belichick is selecting a player from the University of Alabama, he's calling his friend Nick Saban and he's asking Nick Saban what he thinks of this player. Uh, you know, when Kevin Costner wants to find out why no one attended Bo Callahan's birthday party, he's going to call the head coach at the University of, of Wisconsin before spending the number one pick on him. So making phone calls and having a Rolodex, that's part of a scouting network and that's part of due diligence when you're looking for um intel on a player um there are a few players that the revs have specifically said that they came highly recommended to them ben ravino out of ucla they said was recommended by their coach now we don't know the extent of that that was just a comment they made at the press conference afterwards but that that might just be the coach emailing teams and sending a recommendation and and going above and beyond to make sure the player gets drafted um i believe the edward kizza pick which we've trashed that pick on on this podcast at the time and never since um you know i, I believe that there was some sort of connection there the coach uh, uh highly recommended him there um outside of that there really haven't been a lot of times where bruce arena has said that we've talked to this coach and it's been highly recommended so i i imagine the you know bulma they did their due diligence on and, and to move up on him it, it's certainly more than a than a coaching recommendation um type of pick uh, and, and and for what it's worth too the head of scouting at the New England Revolution, Remy Roy, he's also the head of scouting when they selected Tejon Buchanan and when they selected Brandon By and when they selected Dewan Jones. And Remy Roy was in the building when they selected, you know, Andrew Farrell and Kellen Rowe. And so, so Remy Roy has been around a number of super drafts. Um, I, I think sometimes people just kind of look at the coach and say, well, Bruce's, you know, his last few draft picks haven't really worked out. They haven't really contributed. Um, outside of Kessler, which Kessler, of course, is the only top 10 pick so far. Um, but, you know, if you look at Remy Roy, you know, he, he's been a part of many successful super drafts. So I, 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 in, do they have a domestic scouting department? I, again, if this is a super draft, this might be a Bobby Wood comment, but in terms of the super draft, like, yeah, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure they also do call the Rolodex. And do they rely on it a little too much? Yeah, probably. I, I think for the veteran signings, certainly that's something that, needs to change and they need to get a new set of eyes um, because the relying on players that used to play for Bruce thing um, it's, it's getting a little bit old. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree there. You know, if you have the Rolodex at your disposal, use the Rolodex, right? Obviously you're going to talk to your scouts. You're going to look at film. Um, you're going to make your own analysis, but you know, if you can call someone up and get, you know, a firsthand account to help build your case to draft a player or maybe not draft a player, you're going to use it. At, I think for the draft perspective, like, Okay, they missed out on Edward Kizza, you know, big deal. Obviously, it was an international roster slot, so there was some expense there. But typically in Major League Soccer, and especially in the, the Super Draft, it's very difficult to hit on a player. Usually, it's your top 10 picks that are really contributing. Um, that's why a lot of teams typically pass late in the draft. So 
it's very tough to get a major league soccer ready player starter specifically out of the super draft. So I think the fact that they hit on Henry Kessler, like that was a great pick by Bruce Arena. Um, turned out to be a very good pick, I think. And I think if you look at his draft history with New England so far, I think you'd probably call it a win just because they hit on the pick they were supposed to hit on. So you got to give him kind of the benefit of the doubt here with Bulma. You know, obviously I'm concerned with how they're planning to deploy him so early in his career here, but I think so far his success in the Super Draft is a positive, uh, specifically with Kessler. I think if Traeger's talking about, yeah, Bobby Wood and all of that, I think that's a very fair criticism because I don't know how much scouting is going on when you're drafting Bobby Wood or Sorry, sorry, signing Bobby Wood or you know, signing out, bringing in Altidore, bringing in Gonzalez, legit. Like, I don't really know if there's much scouting going on there, right? Um, I think there's way too much personal connection in that regard. Tanner, uh, some other news that came out this week is that MLS released their schedule. Uh, the Revs, again, will once again be opening their season on the road. They'll be starting in Charlotte on February 25th. Their home opener will be against the Houston Dynamo on March 4th. They also will be playing a couple of very annoying, super, super annoying Sunday night 1030 games. They're playing at LAFC on March 12th. Uh, for example, the third game of the season will be a late night game uh, on a school night too. Uh, pretty terrible. Um what are your thoughts about the MLS schedule? Do you have any key takeaways uh, from this announcement? It's not very fan-friendly, um, especially for the supporters, right? You're looking at six games before mid-May at Gillette Stadium that take place at 7.30 at night. And not just for the fans, for the players. You know, it's New England. It's the early spring. And you know conditions are not going to be friendly. There's chances for snow. There's chances for very cold weather, uh, especially at night. At that part of the year, that's the time of the year you want to be playing in the afternoon, not just for the players, but for the fans. Um, so it's just not a very fan friendly schedule, especially with the fact that you're playing the reigning league champions at 1030 at night on a Sunday. That's your third game of the year. I, I just look at the schedule and I do question the league's commitment to its fans. Um, and also, this is going to be the most restricted revolution season ever in terms of access for fans and being able to watch the games. Um, so overall, I think it's easy to be disappointed in what major league soccer was able to provide this time around. Yep. Uh, and there's also going to be one uh, game outside of Apple TV for the revolution. So if you're not getting Apple TV, if you're not a season ticket holder, uh, enjoy that one game on March 31st against Atlanta United on the road. Hopefully uh, it is a win, but yeah, no afternoon games. I think that's a real bummer. I think, more 1030 games than afternoon games is a real sign that this can be improved upon. Also, I believe when Apple TV came out, they said that all games would be Wednesdays or Saturdays. There's a few Sunday games. That's a little unfortunate. Um, yeah, it, it's a real negative with the Apple TV thing. But um, yeah, not pleased with this schedule, all things considered. Um just going to be one of the, the downsides to the Apple TV deal, I suppose. Uh, also worth noting, one more game I wanted to highlight, September 2nd, uh, Austin FC is coming to New England, so we will get a Diego Fagundes uh, reunion game uh, late in the season, assuming he's still with Austin in September. Um, but yeah, one more comment here, too. I want to hop over to one more comment before from, from Bruce Arena that I meant to, to talk about. Um, earlier before we hop into listener questions uh, Josie Altidore is expected to return to the team he's expected to report to preseason um, are you surprised by this Tanner not particularly surprised uh, I don't think Altidore necessarily increases value uh, a ton on loan 
Um, and I think the plan was always to bring him back if you couldn't move him out. There's still a significant salary implication with Altidore. Uh, he's still a name, right? He's still you're able to theoretically sell tickets. I think if you asked most Boston fan, people in the city of Boston or in the area, you know, they probably would know who Altidore is and probably wouldn't know majority of players on the team, even Carlos Seal. So I think he's still a name, he's still sellable for the team. I think if you get the Altidore you had last year, there's no shot he's a fit. But I look at the team now and I say, okay, Adam Books is not here. Um, Veroni is a very different player. And maybe you could use an Altidore, right? I think they could clearly use a veteran forward who can theoretically score, hold up the ball, and do some things that other players can't. So I think there's actually potentially a role for him now that's here that wasn't there last year. Um, but the question is, how does he fit? You know, there's a lot of questions about fit right now. Like, how does Bo fit? How does Barrero fit? How does, you know, Veroni fit? Um, so there's a ton of questions with this team, and it's clear they're going to be very talented. I think Altidore is still an incredibly talented player. Um, you know, you can still score late in your career. We've seen a lot of players be able to do that in Major League Soccer. So I'm optimistic about him. Um, I don't think we saw enough of him last year to really put the, the nail in the coffin, to speak. Um so I, I think the Revolution don't have a ton of options, so they kind of have to bring it back in. God bless you, Tanner, for your optimism. I will take the pessimism side. Um, I, I, although it's worth pointing out, too, TFC is still paying a percentage of his contract, and we don't know how much that is. Uh, the Revs will be on the hook for all of 2024. So I wonder if the financial incentive to cut ties with him just isn't high enough at this stage. Uh, with that said, the if you look at the forward grouping there, you have Rioni. You have Bo, you have Bobby Wood, you have Josie Altidore, you have Justin Rennix. You have a lot of guys that could emerge as a starter or could fight for minutes. And But I, I don't know, did I list a 10-goal scorer there? Um, maybe Bo, um, if he stays healthy. But um, none of those guys strike a ton of confidence in me. And... Josie Altidore, I think I kind of mentally figured he would find a new team. I know he's been looking around. I know he was tied to a team in Brazil for a little bit. I think I, I just kind of assumed he had moved on. Um, it, it's going to be really interesting if they still work out alone. There's still a lot of time. Um, it, it seems like both parties kind of want to go their separate ways. And I think coming back this season, if he's still unhappy, I just can't envision that ending well um, if he's not putting in 100% effort and if he's got a fight with Justin Rennicks and, and Bobby Wood for minutes. So um, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting for sure. Yeah, I think it's it's super interesting in the sense that I don't know what he expected his role to be last year. I don't know if it was Bruce Arena maybe over-promising and thinking that he would be a fit, and it really wasn't with Buxa here. Uh, it, if Altador is thinking he's going to come in and be a starter – um, I think that's you know the incorrect view. I don't think he should be starting for this team, especially at this point in his career. I think you know Bruce Arena said a lot of positions this year are going to be a competition uh, amongst the players. So you know anything could happen. Altidore would probably be given that chance to compete. You know if he is indeed with the team, but I, I just don't know what he's expecting at this point in his career. I don't think there's a lot of clubs he'd be starting for at this point because um, he just hasn't proven that he's capable. Yeah, well, and he signed. I mean, his contract was a pretty big deal. Um, and again, TFC yeah. is footing the bill for it. But I, I mean, he's still on starter money. You know, like I, I, I think he came in last season expecting to replace Adam Buxa. I, I, I genuinely think that was the expectation from Bruce, both Bruce and Josie. And then once Josie got here, it was pretty clear. Um, 
his best days are behind him and they had to go out and get Vrioni. I, I think that was the expectation um, and it just hasn't panned out that way. But yeah, you know, whether or not Josie will accept that he's not a starter anymore in this league, I, I'm not so sure, but we'll see. I do get a, do have a comment here from Derek. He says, what do you, do, what do you think the go-to formation will be this year? Any chance for a return of the 4-4-2 or 4-1-2-1-2 diamond formation with Bo and Brioni up top? And if we're talking about the striker depth with Bobby Wood, with Josie Altador, with Justin Rennicks, you have five forwards. It makes a little bit more sense if maybe they shift back to the two-striker formation. I think we've all kind of assumed they're going back to a 4-2-3-1. Uh, Tanner, what are your thoughts on maybe going back to a two-striker formation at some point? Do you think that's in the cards for the Revs this season? I think they have to figure out. I mean, we talked. I think we talked about this after the uh, season ended. Was like, where does Gustavo Bo fit? Because it feels like they, can, they haven't found that perfect fit for him. And the fact that Veroni was banged up. And also, Bo is banged up. We don't really know what this team looked like last year. We never really fully came together, unfortunately. So it does bring a lot of questions for next season. And I think Bo's best role is in double striker. So I, I, I'm curious to see what they do. I think a diamond could work. Because um, whatever they did last year did not work. Uh, they tried a lot and it just didn't function. But they weren't fully healthy. And there is a lot of questions still, right? Um, can Bulma fit in like Bruce Arena thinks? at the number eight. Um, and it sounds like they're going to, they want that to occur quickly and ready to go. So there, there's a ton of questions with this team because if Bulma fits at the number eight and you have kind of speed in that position, it's just, it's dramatically going to change the way this team actually plays. So um, super, super curious. I, I do think it could work in a diamond formation. When you mentioned the eight comment, I mean, maybe you were think, looking at a Sebastian Legette type role for Bulma where you're, you're maybe going to try to go back to the diamonds. But the problem with that is then, so you have Barrero on the left and Bulma on the right. That strikes me as two wingers, not necessarily central midfielders in that diamond. So so I, I don't know. It'd be a very fast team, um, but you have two guys that I think you are offensive speedy wingers that maybe you don't want to give defensive responsibilities to. So um, that, that'll be interesting to see how they balance it out. I do think we might see the diamond formation at some point, especially with all the forwards they have. Um, but I, I think for the most part, part Dylan Barrero is kind of the wild card how healthy is he if he's healthy I think you want him playing a left winger role in a 4-2-3-1 um yeah they they have a lot of parts that really just don't mash match together perfectly so it's going to be interesting to see which formation they go with how much they rotate it how they play um and of course if you ask Bruce Arena he'll say that formations are just a starting point and none of it really matters but um it, it is a real question mark and I think it's one that as long as I've been doing this podcast, I, I haven't had this thought of, I have no idea what the formation is going to look like um, in game one. So it'll be very interesting. So Tanner, that just about does it for us today. Uh, fun super draft, another super draft in the books. Will be interesting to see how Bulma develops with the revs. I think we agree. Like the pick, unsure about how he's going to be used. Well, that, that's a little bit TBD, but um, very exciting to see the revs, at least in terms of the super draft, show a little bit of ambition, go up, get a guy they really like, get a guy that they think can contribute in year one, um, much better than uh, years past where it seems like we're just talking about organizational depth um, and, and maybe players that will contribute down the road. Tanner, any final thoughts here before we wrap up today? No, it's just, um, you know, the 2023 season is right around the corner, January 9th. The Revs are going to be uh, you know, reporting in the Foxborough, and then they're going to be training down in uh, Florida uh, later in the preseason. So it, the preseason's almost here. So it's super exciting. Um, Obviously, wish everyone a uh, happy holiday and definitely a happy new year. Um, but 
That's all I got. Yes, and I wanted to wish everyone happy holidays. I don't think we will have another podcast in the 2022 calendar year, but we just wanted to thank everyone for another year of listening and sticking with us and uh, supporting our podcast. If you haven't reviewed already, we really, really do appreciate those uh, on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Uh, And also, I do want to give one more quick note uh, to Seth McComer, who revealed on Twitter last week that he is currently battling cancer. Um, So he's things seem optimistic. Uh, It seems like he's going to fight it. But um, longtime contributor to this podcast, uh, The Bent Musket, uh, one of the best guys on the beat. uh, One of the best um, guys over the last decade in terms of giving Rev's coverage. Uh, has some really, really strong long-form articles. I'm sure if you're a long-time listener to this podcast, uh, you're aware of his writing. Uh, but just wanted to send our thoughts along to Seth uh, and wishing him the best uh, as he goes on his battle. So uh, with that being said, thank you everyone for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap. Follow our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you want to support us further going into 2023, you can donate to our podcast at patreon.com slash revolution recap, where you can sign up for as little as $1 a month. Also, be sure to follow The Bent Musket on Twitter at The Bent Musket and follow their work online at www.thebentmusket.com for year-round coverage. Also, be sure to go follow uh, the Trifecta Network, uh, Tanner's show, or or, sorry, Tanner's website, uh, which also provides great year-round coverage uh, and notebooks on the revolution all year long. Uh, Tanner, where can people find you on Twitter? They can follow me at Tanner Rebello on Twitter. So make sure you do that. And also, please make sure you follow the Trifecta Network on Facebook as well. Uh, Also, be sure to follow our friends at The Rebellion at The Rebellion on Twitter and go to anyrebellion.org to learn more about them. And you can check out our sponsor, Galasso Kits, and use our promo code REVSRECAP for 15% off your order. Link and code are in the show notes. After that, we will be back soon whenever more REVS signings come. Hopefully, some signings do come out soon. Uh, But we'll see you guys in the new year. Thank you all for listening, and go REVS.